And welcome back to Green Rush Live, a Friday afternoon business of cannabis talk show that we do here every week on Pro Cannabis Media. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and a reminder again to please share, like, and subscribe to all our programs on Pro Cannabis Media, not just this one. One that I'm most proud of, no disrespect, boys, okay, is the We Talk News show that we put together every week with Elena Pinto as the anchor, Tori Chamberlain as the producer. These are two professional broadcasters, professional producers and a broadcaster, okay, that are putting together a coast-to-coast news show every week for Pro Cannabis Media. We have 12 correspondents from all over the world who call in their 90-second reports on what's going on in their neck of the woods, which is really fulfilling my vision of building a company that will continue to document the end of cannabis prohibition in this country. And joining us from New Jersey and the president of the New Jersey Cannabis Business Association is a friend. Edmund DeVoe is with us. Edmund, thank you so much for joining us here on Friday afternoon. Thanks for having me again, Jimmy. Really appreciate it. Happy New Year to everyone. And a happy New Year, for sure. And let's talk about New Jersey and cannabis. Is it a happy New Year or are they seeing doom and gloom like we in Massachusetts are hearing about? Well, to use the pun, uh, the the bong is either half full or half empty. And, and so what when you look at, I'll start with the half empty piece. So the half empty piece says, look, New Jersey took too long to get things up and running. Uh, Some people criticize the process, both legislative and regulatorily, saying, look, it it took the legislature too many years uh, to pass legislation, and it took the regulatory commission too long uh, to get the licensing process up and running. Now, all that being said, when you look at the numbers, New Jersey has, has generated over $100 million in two quarters. That's the that's the uh, third and fourth quarters of 2022. So when you look at it, a recreational market that still generated over $100 million in terms of state revenue is not a failing market. You, you can't call that a failure. Again, if you switch sides, you say, oh my God, they lost $100 million. I say it's just revenue that wasn't realized. So it wasn't lost. Uh, as some ventures actually do do, but you didn't realize the potential of the full market for a full year. All that being said, uh, again, when you look at what has happened, what's transpired, the process did in fact take off. It was not a slow process as much as it was deliberate. The state was actually deliberate in making sure that it adhered to the legislative and regulatory intent of making sure first and foremost, those formerly incarcerated, minorities, veterans, all of those licensing categories received the priority that was due. They did that. They generated over 800 conditional licenses within the licensing period. These are conditional licenses, meaning I don't own my property, I don't have municipal approval, but the state recognizes my right to move forward in this industry. And we are slowly but surely now unrolling or rolling out the, uh, the permanent or annual licenses. Again, some may say slow to the draw. That, that may very well be, but it is in fact happening. And so when you look at the, the economic trends, in New Jersey, the economic trend is going up. The way I view it, and from a purely commercial, purely economic uh, view, 
it's a market that is not going boom and then bust. We are rolling out in, in such a pace that no, we're not going to have as many dispensaries or many as many retail facilities as we may want. We may want more cultivators out there. We definitely will need more cultivators out there. But this is a process that if you're in it and, you, and you've got the resources and you're going to make it, and by the way, the state has seen what's going on and we've been at the table with public financing bodies. So we are now getting ready to roll out public financing uh, assistance for, for certain applicants. So this is definitely a, uh, an economy, an industry in a state that's moving forward. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny when you describe what's going on there and you're talking about the legislature and you're talking about the voters voting it in, very similar scenario here in Massachusetts, except for that one about over um, overpopulating and having as many as 10 or 11 dispensaries in one town like Northampton, where the only dispensary that got a license recently just closed. So again, you've got 10 still operating in one small town in Western Massachusetts. Um, are the lessons that Massachusetts are going through now something that the New Jersey group is aware of and watching and seeing and probably doesn't want to replicate? Well, you know, it's interesting, Jimmy. I think this is somewhat of an unintended consequence or an unintended win, actually. Uh, when the state was grappling with coming up with legislation that all the legislator, all legislators could get behind, or at least your majorities could get behind, uh, one of the things that they promised was that municipalities, individual municipalities, could either opt in or opt out they could set the tone in terms of how many dispensaries or retailers, how many cultivation facilities, how many manufacturers. So all the zoning, all of the licensing caps are now part of the municipal decision process, not the state. And so when you look at that happening, the state in some ways has controlled the market. And, and again, some people say it's to the detriment of the industry, because you do have people that are looking for sites. You do have people that are looking for real estate because not, uh, not even half of the municipalities have opted in yet. It's a real challenge and we get that. But at the same time, you're not gonna do this boom market where you've got thousands of properties that are now uh, rented people in them just going to bust because you have too many retailers uh, in in a single in a single town or even in the vicinity. So while we do want more, uh, we do see a need, and there's definitely room for more of a commercial base. Uh, the way it's been rolled out, we're going to avoid that that process. Whether it's Oklahoma, you know, look in all deference, but that that's an example. People were getting licenses, and the people walked away from their stores. People walked away from their infrastructure. That's not happening in New Jersey. I don't think it will because of, again, being just being deliberate. Deliberate's another word for slow. Okay, uh, you've got a New Jersey native on with us, Doug Miller. Doug, I'm going to ask you, as a New Jersey resident, what's your opinion and uh, observations about the rollout of the adult use market in your garden state? Uh, that was a uh, actually a 
great way to explain it, to be honest with you, because it was rolled out very slowly and everybody thought so. And it, it kind of was, they didn't have the regulations. I mean, they were like three years behind, they'd write them. And then three years later, they would adopt them and they, everything changes within six months. So everything they were adopting was just crazy. But at the same time, it, it kind of slowed up the amount of people that could really open up legitimate dispensaries and operations. And you don't have a big flooded market with a lot of things. And, and people ask me all the time, because I invest and I've been in the industry for a while, how do we get in? How do we get in? I say, the first thing you have to do, write a business plan. And then this first, second thing, which is the most important thing, go to whatever town you're trying to find real estate in and see if they'll even let you. Because like you said, in New Jersey, every town is different. And uh, what I live in the town that we basically had the very first dispensary in it. It was Compassion and Science in Belmar. Now it's Cura Leaf. And uh, so it's a big operation, but that's the only one that they're going to allow in town. But all the towns around me are all letting two, three dispensaries around because they try to want to com uh, compete with Cure Relief and the tax revenue. So, uh, so yeah, it's just one of them things. But they also realize, like you said, you can only have one dispensary so close to each other because uh, they'll start to go under if you start competing too much, just like some of the other markets. And Michigan's another example of uh, a market that's been doing having the same issues. Do you guys have any idea what the cost oh. per gram is in uh, New Jersey? Uh-oh, I think we lost Doug. <laughs> yeah. uh, do we, do you, Edmund? Do you happen to know what the cost per gram is in in the state right uh, now? Not not per gram. Uh, I yeah. could you from the ace, right? We we yeah by ace. So yeah. if I don't make the uh, transition, I, I was never good at math. Uh, so when we when uh, when we look at the an eighth in New Jersey is anywhere between forty eight and sixty dollars uh, for the eighth. And an ounce is anywhere between four eighty and five twenty. Wow! Wow! Someone was in that right. range. Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy, and they don't really give you any breaks either. It's not like if you're, I mean, a very small amount on like if you buy an eighth or a quarter, but like a half ounce really doesn't matter if you buy that. You're basically buying two quarters. Right, and and, uh, and Josh, I want to get your opinion from a mature state. Okay. Uh, what are what would advice would you give New Jersey people, whether they be regulators, growers, uh, people that want to get into the business, based on some of the lessons that Washington State has learned, and I understand are still learning. Yeah, I would say um, plan on it costing more, plan on making less, plan on it taking longer, and plan on lots of headaches. And uh, if anything, just plan on uh, constant changes. If, if you're paying attention to, uh, so most people would have no idea that Washington state has tried to limit the THC to 10 milligrams. They've tried to limit the color, the shape, the everything to, to try to not be attractive to children. So if you're in the industry, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to figure out, is this bill going to pass? Do I need to figure this out instead of just running your business like a normal human being, you have to worry about these potential limitations and regulatory constraints. Um, in Eastern Washington, it's all cow country, right? So you have a large NIMBY crowd. They're not in my backyard crowd over there, but they're totally okay with cow manure. They're like, oh, this cannabis, it stinks so bad. I can't smell cow poop anymore. You know, but really 
it's it's this domination of wine country. They don't want anybody to touch Red Mountain that's dominated by the terroir that, that people love to grow wine on. And so there's this community where farmers don't want them, uh, cow farmers don't want them, uh, retire people don't want them, conservatives don't necessarily want it. Wine country definitely doesn't want it. And so you have to anticipate out of nowhere that there's going to be roadblocks for cafes. You're going to have the uh, no smoking. You're going to have the drinking and driving group coming after you. You're going to have all these maybe unexpected groups. And so regardless of what segment you think you're going to get in, um, plan on a headache. Edmund, do you have your ibuprofen or Tylenol standing by for that? You know, it's interesting. I appreciate Josh's comments. And Doug, thank you very much uh, for, for your insights. Uh, I, uh, Josh is 100% right. And so, Jimmy, being slow or deliberate, uh, we everybody showed their true colors. Right. Pharma, the pharma industry uh, got their lobbyists. They fought against the legislation. Uh, they, they got it into the heads of, at that time of even the, uh, the Black Caucus in, in the legislature and had pushed about how this is horrible for communities of color. And, and it, it was crazy. And yes, the, the, uh, the drunk or intoxicated driving groups came out, uh, the, the uh, family practitioners, uh, the, the MDs even, and I actually spoke at, uh, at the Academy of Family Practitioners and their biggest complaint was not so much, oh gee, it's cannabis, it was, well, who's gonna train us? I mean, we, we got everything. So Josh, to your point, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, people came out, they showed their true colors while the legislation was being discussed, which actually prompted the legislature to punt the process to the voting public who overwhelmingly voted in approval of the cannabis industry. You know, you know it's funny, we talk about the municipalities. Um, do they have separate elections for whether they allow cannabis coming in or not? So each municipality, 565 of them, each has their own governing body who, who adopts the ordinance as to whether to opt in or opt out. Okay, and um, is it, once you opt out, is there a way to opt back in based on either a, a local municipality vote like my friend Stephen's going through tomorrow in Bridgewater, Mass? Oh, okay. So it's interesting in New Jersey at the, uh, and Doug alluded to this in terms of the uh, regulatory timeline. So legislation was passed. The Cannabis Regulatory Commission or CRC had a uh, date certain that they had to craft uh, regulation. They did that, but at the same time, municipalities had to decide, opt in or opt out. Well, the majority of towns opted out because there was no regulation. So, so opting out, at least taking a position, gives you the opportunity to opt back in at whatever time you want. If you opted in, you've opted in for five years minimum. If you said nothing, and there were only three municipalities that I think said nothing, you're automatically in. But they, they never adopted ordinance to, to govern uh, the cannabis industry. So by and large, of the 565, the majority have the opportunity to opt in whenever they want. Yeah. 
I think in Massachusetts, they made it based on the vote of the question four that was on the ballot. Um, and that was their basis. And then, of course, they could still opt out. Um, but that being said, it's also been a few years later. One of the biggest issues, Josh brought it up, and I have not heard about this that often, just because Massachusetts is so established, they're just trying to figure out how to keep it going, um, is the percentage of THC and trying to limit the percentage of THC in the product. This, to me, goes to a little bit of ignorance because anybody who uses the product on a somewhat regular basis understands it isn't about how much THC is in it. It's the terpenes interaction with that THC that, imp that, that impacts the high or the, the intoxicating effects of the plant. So um, once again, you know, our legislators love to slow things down and, and make it deliberate, but maybe they should be more informed about what goes on. I, I just, it, boggles my mind when I hear stories like that, especially like Josh's state in Washington. You guys have had it for what, 15 years? Yeah, at least, yeah, over 10. But here's what they're starting to do now because they have all these moratoriums in, in the conservative eastern part of the state, like I mentioned. And so to incentivize them, what they're now doing is literally paying them to switch. So they opted out and now they're wanting to opt in because they're saying, Yo, look, if if your county doesn't allow for at least one producer, processor, or store, you're not going to get any of the money that we're generating off cannabis taxes. Right. And so they're going to keep that and then distribute it to the counties that do have it. Because you can't benefit from it if you don't allow it. So they'll literally pay them, I think, $1.8 million to opt in, and then they will share revenue from that. Now, don't hold me to that that price. It's been a while since I reported that on uh, We Talk News, uh, but um, they do incentivize people. So I would I would recommend that other states, New Jersey and whoever else, to maybe incentivize those NIMBYs and not my backyard folks, uh, and, and, and even hold it against them and say, you don't get any of this tax revenue until you change your mind. Well, what's interesting, Josh, and I appreciate that. So we skirted that, and I'll let Doug kind of uh, get his sense from, from a Jersey thing. But what we said to municipalities was, much like the casino tax, Atlantic City, right? If, if you go into a casino, uh, that, there's a tax that goes directly to Atlantic City. Uh, in New Jersey, with the cannabis industry, a point of sale, 2% goes right to the municipality. And, and so there's this notion of, hey, opt in, at a minimum, the 2% is yours. And then there are other things along the uh, supply chain that you get to tap into uh, for like one, one and a half percent. I don't know if that was a driver, Doug, for some of the towns that you're familiar with. Well, I definitely know about the 2%. I actually am very familiar with that. I ran in the local election and uh, yeah, it's a, because uh, Cure Release a very big operation in our town and um, yeah, they generate a lot of revenue. And so people want to know exactly how much revenue are we getting? And, you know, so I, I kind of know the figures and uh, it's, it's quite alarming actually. It's like, wow, we get well over a million dollars every six to eight months just for that 2%. So, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's quite crazy, but then it depends on what your municipality does with the, you know, with that funding. And, uh, and that's the other thing, because they all have their own agenda and, you know, so it's kind of wild. They run into these, this money 
and then it doesn't even sometimes get used for that town or it just gets used for nonsense but that's a whole nother story but yeah it's uh it is a very good way to attract businesses because the two percent ends up being a lot that's the whole idea of passing it and making it legal in the first place so that people know exactly what they're getting when they're getting and then the town that's hosting that dispensary can benefit from that as well and uh now let me ask you a question edmund uh i know it's not that the um the market isn't that old in new jersey um has have there been any uses of the tax revenue yet in a positive manner like have they put up a new school i'm just throwing that out there sure so you know it's interesting so uh on the on the purely recreational side uh too soon to tell right in fact they're still arguing how will we cut the social equity pie, right? That, and I'm not even gonna get into that conversation yet, but, but that's, that's a piece that's still waiting. But one of the interesting anecdotal uh, comments that I have regarding that is uh, I went to uh, for the, the 421, not 420, but 421, the first day of recreational sales uh, in New Jersey. And I was uh, down in, uh, Wood, Woodston, I think, uh, or Williamstown, Williamstown, New Jersey. And I'm standing there with the deputy mayor and the president of the city council. And they said, this is great for us because we have not raised taxes in three years because we've had a medical facility here. Not raising taxes in New Jersey is a big deal. <laughs> right? and, and so here's a town that's saying we haven't raised taxes because of cannabis to me that's as good as building a school right or for some people that's as good as as a new building or a new school so right. that 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 is an economic reality yeah can, can the federal feds get a wind of that although right now they can't even decide who's going to be the speaker i mean I am, I don't know about you guys, all right, but you know, I don't like to turn to politics, but in a lot of ways, I'm really kind of embarrassed about what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, let's not get into politics. I just want to <laughs> throw that out there that, you know, at some point, the feds are going to hear that, that, oh, if we put a little federal tax on interstate commerce, for instance, we could actually help the economy. And we could build an expansive new industry that has jobs and puts money back into the local communities. I mean, it, it makes, for some reason, I think it's simple and everybody else makes it more difficult than it has to be. I don't know. I don't know. If the feds see $500 ounces, they may legalize it a lot quicker. They'd be like, yeah, we want a piece of that. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and uh, the, the eighth price that you gave, like, by the way, back in the day, the eighth was a nickel bag, okay? And uh, <clears throat> the, the quarter was a dime bag, okay? $5 and $10. Yeah, I'm dating myself. What can I tell you? Um, and ounces were $20 back in that day. Now, I will say they went up to 40 very fast as soon as the Colombian market opened up. <laughs> as I look back at that now, and now I'm seeing ounce prices in Massachusetts. I know a dispensary for fact. I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not going to give the name, but it's in Rockland, uh, is basically selling ounces for under $100. So 
you know, that that's the perfect example. You want to study economics 101? Check out the supply and demand of the price of what's happened in Massachusetts over the last couple of years when they put out 240 dispensary licenses and, uh, and dozens of, of growth facilities with hundreds of thousands of square feet. And, you know, that part of the green rush, I believe, is over. We're, we have a market correction now. It's just the next step. And I am not savvy enough as an economist. Maybe maybe Doug is because he studies the stocks all the time. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that they'll come out of it because I'm rooting for the industry. And I can also see all the benefits of it. I just don't understand how it got this way. And I guess it had to do more with there was more available than, than the market could bear. I think everything got oversaturated with COVID. COVID money, they were throwing money at things that they could, shouldn't have been throwing money at. And uh, it just, it, it literally was a recipe for a disaster that was just ready to happen at some point. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to be in a correction for it. It's just the way it works. I mean, there's charts and they work certain ways and there's no other way around it. They've been doing the same things for hundreds of years and uh, there's no other way to explain it. And, it's economics, supply is in demand and supply and demand. And that's just the way it works. So um, we're, we're definitely going to be in a correction. People are going to pivot, be smart, get through it. And then it's going to be a big boom again. It, it happened in 08. And it, it, we have cycles like this. And people that prepare for them, they make it to the next level. And people that try to live paycheck to paycheck or day to day, they usually get smoked. <laughs> Was that a pun? Oh, I'm sorry. That's a pun. There you go. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Edmund DeVoe, you got any special things for the New Jersey Cannabis Business Association coming up in the next few weeks that you want to give a plug to? Oh, sure. Thank you. So uh, we're looking, well, each month we do uh, some type of networking event in person. Uh, we do our Friday, most, most every Friday, uh, our lunch and learn program. It's only 20 to 20, 30 minutes. Uh, with an industry professional, please do visit our website uh, to stay abreast of uh, of those events uh, that will be upcoming. And that's New Jersey, all spelled out, NewJerseyCannabusiness.com. So NewJerseyCannabusiness.com. Come visit us, check us out for our events and in uh, some of our policy features. Uh, again, we're looking at how the Economic Development Authority, the state's EDA, is getting ready to uh, start. Uh, giving grants. We were at the table helping them develop this. So we're very proud of 2022 and look forward to 2023. Yeah. Well, I, as far as I'm concerned, last year couldn't end fast enough. And I'm really excited about 2023. So uh, hopefully that's great. Edmund, uh, great seeing you again. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome here anytime. And um, if there's ever anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Jimmy, thank you so much. All right, we're going to take our break here. And when we come back, we're going to have an owner of a Maryland dispensary and an owner of a Massachusetts dispensary on together to talk about the differences in the markets because Maryland just opened. And we'll continue with Green Rush Live after this. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary. 
and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.